Professor Brain Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Uh, tell me tell me about the exciting things that have made you happy along this journey in science like what are what are those things that you've you've considered highs in your in your in your journey either directly related to science or indirectly related to your career that have influenced your career in one way or another? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, me, let's say, um, yeah, like, the small highs are always just, like, uh, yeah, making deliverables and, like, getting things done and ticking things off my list. These are, like, the highs that I try to keep going, like, every day, every week. Uh, so that I can look back on the day or week and say, okay, mm. like it's not a it's not a huge uh, achievement, but like I can have these like small highs every week, uh, like that I did something. Um, but then, oh, yeah, I mean, I... That. thanks for saying that. I've never thought about that. Like appreciating those small things that you're able to accomplish in a day or in an hour, like recognizing them and you know noting them down and saying actually this happened nice like it's like appraising yourself and giving yourself a tick that's nice yeah that you pointed that out exactly and i think like you can even apply it on something that i started about like six months ago or so um i read about i was looking for ways to be more productive and because I had a lot of work coming my way and was like, if I'm not productive about this, then uh, this is uh, this is going to make me stressed and uh, I don't want to be stressed. Uh, so I was looking for ways to, to be more productive. And I came across something called uh, the Pomodoro technique or the Pomodoro whatever. I call it Spelling. And the basic idea is like taking this idea of like having small highs every every week and every day and putting it on like a super micro level. So like I divide my work into 25 minute chunks. Uh, so it's like 25 minutes of working and then like, okay, this is the exact task I want to be working on for these 25 minutes. And then at the end of the 25 minutes, I can see, okay, did I do it or did I not do it? And then it's followed by a five-minute break. And then so you have like four of these 30-minute blocks and then a 20-minute break mm-hmm. after two hours. Uh, and this is something that like really like uh, has worked for me. Uh, I can't say it will mm-hmm. work for everybody, but uh, it's, yeah. really, it's really helped me to focus a lot and just say like, okay, like each 25 minutes, uh, it's, 
it's just working to working to a bigger goal, like one small task at a time, and then eventually uh, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. So this is like a mentality I really tried to put on like a very micro, uh, very micro level. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I've seen that. Um, also, I've also learned that, though in a different way, like. I learned it on a like in hiking because uh, it's something that it's something that I picked last year hiking, and there's so many things that I've learned that I've actually applied in my personal life or in my career life, and that that is one of the things that I have learned, and I learned it through, you know, when when you're doing a hike and it, it's a it's a very steep place or you're doing there's still small peaks like there's this hike called Rurimere in Abadeas where you think that you get so many false peaks you're thinking you've gotten to where you're supposed to go like okay you look up and it's it's a very steep place like this so you look up you're like okay now that's where we're headed you're like it's there then you get there you're like oh my goodness that is not the high that is not the peak then you go again so someone was telling me um you know don't think about the other peaks that you're supposed to go to just think about this peak just this peak yeah. that you can see work on that and just take it step by step until you get there then you'll think about the rest later just work on that one peak and that's the thing that i think i have applied in my personal life like when I, i'm the person who wants everything to be perfect to do all these things i'm someone who's very passionate to the things that i do like i don't know I've, i don't think there's anything that i've done out of just doing i do things because i really want to do them and i'm passionate yeah, about yeah. doing them and when i'm you know someone who's passionate sometimes you, there's a tendency to be workaholic because you have to all these things have to work together and be the way you want them to be but no learning that made me know that you know sometimes you don't have to think about completing the whole hike you just have to think about just what that one small peak just accomplishing yeah. that and being happy about just getting to the peak maybe sit down and say wow awesome yeah. now let's take that <laughs> then leaving that behind and now thinking like you're now satisfied that now I, I i have done this so i am done no celebrate it then now think about the next step now think about the, the next the next week how am i going to do this sorry yeah. i just have to put that out there <laughs> no and i think i think that's like a fantastic way to that's a fantastic way to think about it because like you know sometimes we think about the the top peak yeah like the whole thing and then like mm. get paralyzed with uh, like we're, we're so overwhelmed by like I look up at the top of the peak and I'm like, wow, like it's so overwhelming and so much work to do that it's like, uh, it's almost like it paralyzes me um, into not doing anything, which is the absolute worst thing that can be done. <laughs> mm. So yeah, uh, yeah, thinking about it, each individual peak, and yeah, this is very good, very good of yeah. yeah. Yeah, so and, tell us more about the highs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there's been a number of them. I mean, um, I think the, the high that like saved me from the low <laughs> was, was getting, uh, was getting a visiting research position in Nairobi, uh, cause I think this put a lot of, uh, direction to the PhD 
um, and with the where you located in in Nairobi, where exactly you working? Where you working at? So I was doing a visiting you... research position at Siat, uh, the Alliance of Biodiversity in Siat. Now, when I started, it was just Siat, <laughs> um, over in Kasarani. Um, and so I think that was, yeah, that was like my, my first big high in the process, I think. Uh, because... Oh, say Siat in full, by the way. Oh, sorry. Uh, Siat is the International Center for Tropical Agriculture. Uh, and it's called Siat because the acronym is in Spanish. Uh, Centro de Investigación de Agricultura Tropical. <laughs> ah. Forgive my bad Spanish. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wait, sorry. Um... Do you want to say something small about what SIAT does to someone who's in uh, yeah, tropical so agriculture? What do they do? <laughs> yeah, so SIAT is part of um, um, a group called uh, CGIAR, which is the consultative group on national agricultural research. Uh, yeah, I think I got the acronym right. But uh, basically, it's... <laughs> There's so many acronyms in CG, it's hard to keep up with. (laughs) So, yeah, essentially CG has um, um, major research centers that are headquartered around the world, and they focus on different aspects of uh, agricultural and and livestock research. And so a lot of it has to do with the hard sciences, like as you're doing, making vaccines or making improved Seeds, uh, but then there's also this like huge socioeconomic component of it, um, of uh, yeah, improving rural livelihoods for, for farmers uh, across the world. Um, so this is in a nutshell what um, JAR does, and then within this, uh, the Alliance of Biodiversity and SIAT uh, is uh, really leading the charge on uh, climate research and trying to understand how, how to not only mitigate the climatic effects, but help farmers adapt to a change in climatic conditions. Um, yeah. Hmm. And now all of these research centers are becoming one. So <laughs> yeah. I, my, my explanation is going to be dated very soon. <laughs> very, very soon. <laughs> It's actually progressively being updated, <laughs> but it's still the same kind of thing, but in a different now, just names and I don't know, whatever. So, um, yes, you're saying about the high that you, you got getting a research position um, here in Kenya. So, yeah, so I, more about that. So I think at the time I was really, I was really trying to figure out, okay, like what will the four chapters of my paper are going to be? I'm supposed to go live in my quote unquote home country for two years. Uh, what, what is my home country going to be? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, that year that I was in the Netherlands, uh, like I was traveling a lot for, for work as well. And, uh, so there was just like all this uncertainty and feeling unsettled and, um, so I think really establishing that position and getting some continuity and getting some direction for, okay, this is, this is what I'm finally like figured out to do with mm. the PhD and like where I'm going to take it. Um, and then being able to do it in like Nairobi, which is fantastic. Like, 
<laughs> being able to do it in a place mm-hmm. that like I knew I would enjoy living in, um, I I think was yeah uh, um, great. I mean, I had rapport with my my advisor uh, from the very beginning um, mm-hmm. um, at Seattle, and uh, so I think this was like the 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 thing that was going to bring me out of this low of the first year. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and give some continuity and help me settle down a little bit. Uh, yeah. Um, and do like super interesting work on top of it. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah. And then, I mean, uh, like since then, uh, yeah, I, like there's highs every once in a while. Uh, um, like what I've started to find, like, like super amazing in the past year is people want to like hear about what I'm working on and like see how it can apply to what they're doing. And it's like nice to know that I've spent like, like four years researching things that people care about. Cause this is like a huge doubt that like you have, right. Or, or like I, I had at least uh, when you're doing, when you're developing these questions and doing this research, like, okay, is anyone going to find this interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it like, is anyone even going to read it? I mean, like when you, when I started the PhD, they told me like an average of two people read the PhD thesis and that includes the advisor and the PhD student. Uh, <laughs> so, Um, so you you know it's like well yeah and I I didn't I mean it's great if I find the work interesting right but at the end of the day I also want to contribute something and do something useful Um, and I think yeah seeing maybe in the past year or so like people actually finding my work interesting and saying like hey can you come talk about this or like uh seeing that it's being accepted in the conferences and things like this, um, it's really made me happy. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I think this has been the ultimate, like, uh, high of the PhD. Um, Yeah, it's like finally seeing some reward for for the work that was done um, Mm. outside of, like, me having fun doing it. yeah. Okay. Um, you had mentioned something that you in, you in consulting. How is it like? Um, how did you get first the you know the positions? How did you you you're a PhD student? How did you navigate yourself into getting? Because you had mentioned something before. Um, um, when you before you de- before deciding getting to a PhD, the the complexity of now I am getting myself intentionally into a space into a work position, <laughs> an intense work yeah. position that doesn't pay well. So um, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, I mean going into the PhD, I never. I, I never really had the intention of only focusing on the PhD, um, mm. which, yeah, looking back on, I'm 
happy I did it that way, but it comes with a lot of consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I would say at very few points during the PhD have I had what I would call healthy work-life balance. And because it's like trying to do the PhD, which is already a full-time position. And then, uh, frankly, I wanted to do consulting uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, um, I find a lot of the work and the projects like super interesting. Uh, and the mm-hmm. nice thing about consulting is it's usually directly applicable. Um, like people want consultants to tell them things to improve their organization's uh, functioning and they want like very actionable insights. So I think this part of the research world, I find um, a lot more fascinating, fast paced, interesting than like academia per se, uh, because it's Mm -hmm. directionally actionable, directly actionable. Mm. Uh, You see the fruits then, then. Exactly. So I think this is quite exciting. And then like you also have this component of it where it's like it doesn't have to be as as rigorous as like an academic uh, study. Mm -hmm. So you can do 90% of the research project, which is typically the fun part, uh, and then just Mm -hmm. stop there and not worry about the the 10% that bogs down academics for years uh, trying to perfect everything. Uh, So there's like uh, that style of work I really like. uh, And I think it was a fantastic opportunity to build networks. I mean, I, I really think one of the best ways to build networks is to do little side projects and really get your name out there saying, yeah, I can produce quality work. Uh, mm. uh, you've seen me produce mm. quality work on a, on a small project. Uh, the, so down the line, uh, you can give me a, like a, a big one, yeah? Uh, or an employment yeah. contract. So this is kind of my strategy to to get myself into the the, the workplace back into um, the workplace yeah yeah and then finally i wanted a way to i mean uh, supplement my uh, my income uh, mm. yeah uh, i mean phd stipends are fine but uh, yeah that kind of like hedged my risk of being a PhD as well, because then it wasn't like, oh, I'm so badly paid. It was like, okay, I can still make some money on the side. And if like the PhD thing doesn't work out, at least I didn't like mm. have four years of like. Uh, uh, I, uh... Um... Oh, so you still <laughs> fallback plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer in fallback plans. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. Very wise of you. Um, yeah, so I did. Yeah, that's those are the reasons I got into the consulting. And um, honestly, I no regrets because I think yeah, a lot of my network was built like that. And, and yeah, hopefully the positions I get uh, this year, they'll, they'll most likely uh, come from like existing networks of people I've worked with in the past. Mm. Um, yeah well so what's your plan after phd just getting into employment or are you planning to do a postdoc or what 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 are your plans so i'd like to do a a a postdoc in um in in nairobi and international research organization um so Mm. whether yeah i mean uh, frankly i i i have tentative plans but i don't want to 
I don't want to like speak publicly about it because uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, <Sure. laughs> yeah, just because like uh, I don't want to say something and then it doesn't happen and then I well, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So this. All right. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I put together a funding proposal so you... uh, for a postdoc, mm. and yeah, I'm hoping that gets funded, and then, uh, um, yeah, then I'd be in Nairobi perfectly able to do it. Oh, so you want to stay in Nairobi? Like, yes. You're, you're, you're stuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck. Uh, <laughs> I think I think for the next few years, for sure. Um, because uh, okay. one, I I really like living in Nairobi. Uh, I've been in Nairobi for almost three years now, so I feel like a lot of my personal life is in in Nairobi as well. Um, and I think professionally, it's um, yeah, it's just it's such an active research community, um, and and a, and a very large one as well. So I think yeah, professionally, it makes a lot of sense to to stay here and. Uh, yeah, continue working in the the intended space. There's lots of lots of exciting things going on, and I want to be a part of it. <laughs> mm, okay. Well, that's that's one honest <laughs> and reason. So you you mentioned that you came from US. Which part of US do you come from? First of all. Uh, North Carolina. So I was uh, originally born in Texas, in Houston, uh, and then we moved to North Carolina when I was like ten. So yeah, mm. and in North Carolina. Is it cold? Uh, depends on the time of year. Uh, so during the summer months, like June, July, August, it's really hot. It's like uh, close to like high thirties. It's really hot. Uh, then in the winter, like December, January, February, it's around zero, so it's pretty cold. Um, so we get like the worst of both worlds. And then you have like mm-hmm. one month of one, two months where it's like Nairobi weather, <laughs> like uh, low twenties wow. and, and and nice outside. Uh, so yeah, you get both extremes. <laughs> oh, that's that. Doesn't sound interesting. So um, <laughs> you you <laughs> you moved from US, then you went to Spain, then you went to Rwanda, then Netherlands, then Nairobi. Um, I'm assuming you've also traveled to other countries, but how is it different? Like in terms of weather, culture. Tell me more about that. Like being in different cultures places yeah i mean it's interesting because it's like you have to learn a, like a new set of like, social rules like like in spain rwanda kenya yeah you can show up late to a meeting uh, in, in the netherlands you you have a meeting at five and you show up at 501 they're like <laughs> mm. 
it's quite that bad. Someone else on this podcast said the same thing. I don't remember. I think Dr. Mobegi said the same thing. Like, like the culture is very different in terms of the timing. It's very, very different. Yeah, like I had to get a university ID when I first arrived. Um, Mm. And, you know, like when I was working in Rwanda, we'd have like team meetings for four o'clock, yeah? Then, like, around 4.15, people would be getting on Slack, like, yeah, so are you having the meeting? Like, <laughs> just <keep going. laughs> It would just be so chill, like, uh, yeah, we'll do it around 4, whatever, like, um, and so it was this very relaxed, like, like timing, and then, um, Wait, I don't know. How- how how did you before before you explain about that transition? How did you feel about coming from, you know, Europe and US and coming to now Africa now Rwanda, and um, having that change of time? At first, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, the change of time wasn't so bad because Spain also runs a bit slow. Um, okay. Like. Like, it was an unwritten rule in our university that the, the class starts 10 minutes after the, the, the posted time. Uh, okay. So if your class is at 2 p.m. and you started at 2.05, everyone is like, yo, what are you doing? Like, class doesn't start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so I think Spanish... Spanish time is much more similar to, uh, let's say, African timing than Dutch timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think even within Europe, there's, uh, there's, there's discrepancies. So I didn't have, honestly, I'm, I'm a chronically late person. So um, it's, it's really easy for me uh, in East Africa. Like, it's just super, it works. <laughs> Um, it's just I, me. I, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but the Netherlands, I struggled. Uh, like, yeah, this time I went for the university ID. Like, I was supposed to be there, at, be there at noon. And I showed up at twelve oh seven, and they're like, "Okay, what are you doing here?" And they're going here to get my ID. I have an appointment. What time's your appointment now? <laughs> <laughs> And then she's like, no, I'm sorry, the photographer, he's left. Uh, you were late, and he went to lunch. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Seven minutes. <laughs> Seven minutes, and you left? <laughs> wow. and it, yeah, I was thinking I was on time. Like, I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so it's just small things like that, but uh, you get used to it, I suppose. <laughs> mm. um. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay, that's extreme. <laughs> All right. Uh. <laughs> and I think even within like you watch something. Um, but yeah, like I even think within like Dutch timing, that's extreme. Like that was <laughs> that might be an extreme example, mm. <laughs> but. Okay. Um, no, but I mean, I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I think the, I, I, I mean, I like moving around and like seeing all these cultures and like, um, I don't think for me it wasn't like as difficult as it like might seem. Mm. 
um, because like at the same time as well, you're in, like I'm still an outsider, right? Like if I go to Rwanda, it's like very clear I'm an outsider. Uh, so the same like cultural expectations like aren't set as as they would be for Rwandans, yeah. So it's not like um, in some sense being a foreigner, it's not like how do I say this? Like you don't always have to fully integrate. Like I try to as much as mm. I can, but there's still like different mm. sets of expectations, like set. Uh, like you know, like even in the Netherlands, like um, there's things that foreign students do that Dutch students don't do, like uh, like mm. working hours. Uh, mm. Like most of the foreign students, uh, like we're working late and in the office until seven p.m. and stuff like that. And like this is not Dutch culture at all. Like uh, the Dutch are very militant about their work-life balance, which I really respect, and I think it's like a very nice. I, I think it's a very nice future, um, but yeah, it's not like expected that like foreign students come in and they're like 501, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> it's just, uh, so I think people at the most part everywhere have been like very understanding that like I uh, do come from a different culture and like uh, um, they're, they're not like yelling at me, like, why aren't you doing things like I do? Like... Um, Mm. and like mm. frankly uh, so I think everywhere I've gone people have been very welcoming and I think that's been like super helpful um, now I mean there's all sorts of like dynamics right I mean uh, I understand as well that I'm a white male uh, like traveling around the world and like uh, I'm going to experience it through a very different lens and people from different backgrounds or skins of color uh, you know, so like, yeah, I mean, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm also conscious of. Um, mm. um, and it's like certainly played a role in like um, how I've integrated into places and like uh, how I'm perceived and all of this. So I think this is an important like, aspect that makes sense. Mm. Okay. Is yeah. there any other low high? Sorry, is there any other high that you experienced um, in your journey that you've not talked about that you would like to talk about? That is, no, I don't think so. Uh, not aside from the mm. like just the general highs and the, the small weekly one. Um, okay, all right. You want to say I something? Think the, yeah, the biggest tie will be in two months if I graduate. Congratulations <laughs> in advance, by the way. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, so um, one of the last questions that I like asking um, is the... Because this is about humanizing the person um, talking, the scientist. What are the things that you do that have nothing to do with science with your with your life part of life, <laughs> you know, um, what do you do? What do you do that doesn't pay you <laughs> and you do it for fun? Like, <laughs> what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> ma- ma- making money is fun. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
tell you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I mean, the things I like to do, uh, I love to travel. Um, this is like my number one, my number one hobby. Uh, like I love visiting places around Kenya. I love visiting places uh, outside. Uh, um, so I think this is like my, my absolute favorite thing to do. And when I get like extended period of time uh, away from work, I, I'm, I'm traveling. Uh, <laughs> um, but this is not possible uh, every day of the week. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what, what are the most favorite places that you've traveled to, like you liked? It's not possible. And you said that it's not possible every day of the week. I actually cut you there. No. Yeah, I mean, my favorite places, um, I don't know, I think two of my favorites might be uh, Ethiopia and Egypt, because uh, I think, yeah, I mean, uh, Ethiopia just has amazing culture, I mean, the food I, I can't get enough of, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't there's just so many fantastic places to see and seeing like thousand year old churches, uh, like, uh, pop up. And I mean, uh, it's just like an incredible, uh, just an incredible country. Um, and so I think I really enjoyed my travels around there and uh, like seeing things that I never, I never even dreamed of. Uh, I mean, uh, climbing mountains to go see like churches inside caves and they're all painted inside and like, uh, it, it just blows my mind. Uh, and then, like, Egypt as well, I think there's, like, yeah, it's just such a beautiful country, and um, uh, there's so much to see, and there's so much more than just, like, ancient history. And um, I really like going places that have, like, yeah, like, like lots of cultural aspects to it and like uh, I like seeing the food and how people live and music and like all of these different things so I like going places that are a bit different than what I'm used to um so so yeah um yeah but then I mean uh, like on my free time in general I um I read books uh hang out with friends um watch Netflix um go hiking in Kuro every once in a while. I'm like not a person who has like very <laughs> like what I would call interview worthy hobbies. You know like interviewers will ask you what your hobbies are and you're supposed to be like, ah yeah, I knit or I'm like an expert cook or like you know, I have all these hobbies where I'm also being productive. Like uh, I don't have anything like this. Uh, when I'm not mm. being productive, like when I'm not working, I don't mm. want to be productive. I want to mm. read novels and like hang out and like go on walks and stuff like that. So I don't have any like mm. I don't paint or like <laughs> I don't have any like interview worthy hobbies. <laughs> mm. Okay, um, I didn't know about that. You call them interview what? Interview worthy. <laughs> Interview worthy. Because I think in the US especially, they set up all these things where like, even, you know, when you're not being productive, you have to be productive. You have to be like uh, doing a hobby that is like, yeah, I totally agree. No, like maybe I just want to sit down and Mm. chill. 
and like watch TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, this should be totally acceptable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why it's a relaxing time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean if you do that, like something, it just happens that it's a hobby, but it just happens to make you. It's an interview worthy hobby. <laughs> it doesn't mean like it's it's wrong. It just means that yeah, you do you whatever works for you, whatever you find fun, whatever makes you relax, whatever. Yeah, you, you exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I feel like we're not, uh, and like I I think, and like what you, why I think your podcast is like very cool, and what you're trying to see too is like. We've gotten to this point, and it's not just in research, but we're like commoditizing people, right? Like we want people mm-hmm. to come in and like do work and like just be machines, right? And like, how much is this person going to like? How much output are they going to produce? Like, and how how much creativity can they bring to the table? And like, we're judging like mm-hmm. every aspect of their life and saying, well, this person paints and knits and like has all these like cool interview worthy hobbies that they're doing. So they must be like a value, good value added. And like, well, whereas this other person, they just like, they just have a bunch of professional stuff and they're wasting their free time. Uh, and like, we've gotten to this point where we've like dehumanized people and they just have to be workers and they have to be productive all the time. And like, we've turned mm. free time into productive time and it's just so unhealthy. Uh, so I feel like we should normalize like, if somebody asks what your hobbies are, it's like I hang out with friends or I drink beers and like watch TV and like mm-hmm. that's okay. Like, <laughs> or, like actually, I had this conversation with um, Dr. Afra and I love that she talked about her hobbies were more like the things that people don't want to talk about or rather the things that people don't find whatever you've said, the interview movies. <laughs> like she she's she was like interested in pole dancing and uh, doing being a bartender. Like it's something that she was like, I really want to do that. Like especially things that people find like, oh my God, are you serious? You're going to talk about that? Yeah. I, I love that. Like it's these are normal things that we do and they, they make us happy. They make us human. We are humans. Like that's what we do. Like that's what yeah. <laughs> that's what people do. That's the reality of life, you know? For sure, for sure. And yeah, I think we should be able to like talk about that. And I think that yes. like people should stop asking for this kind of stuff on resumes and like make people feel like they have to be like some sort of like yeah all star in every aspect of life uh, mm. <laughs> um, yeah but yeah and I love I love American sports as well <laughs> I love watching mm-hmm. American football and basketball like <laughs> and it comes on at weird times in Kenya so like uh, sometimes late at night I'm watching, watching like a, a basketball game <laughs> <laughs> So you, you still love your American roots? Yeah, this is like the one thing, like food, all of this stuff, like I can get used to, but uh, like I still love my American sports. Like uh, this, mm-hmm. is the, this is the hardest thing. Like uh, this is something I can't like give up. I can't. <laughs> I, I've tried <laughs> watching football so many times and like trying to get into football mm-hmm. and I just can't. Like I... <laughs> <laughs> just want to watch basketball. Watch here, right? <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> 
Yeah. And I really want to care about the EPL, but I can't. I... <laughs> <laughs> you love something else. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, we've had this conversation for for over two hours now, right? Yep. And I was, I'm sure you're tired of sitting and talking, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to ask as we finish, um, how do you feel after having this conversation? Yeah, I think it went well. I mean, I, I was a bit nervous, uh, like nervous going in. Like I've never like, spoken publicly before <laughs> like aside from like a conference which i don't think really counts because it's yeah. just like to the people yeah. in the room and then it's forgotten forever um <laughs> i mean let's be real about <laughs> yeah i mean let's be real about conference presentations we don't remember most of them <laughs> yeah. but oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, no, I think uh, no, I think it's like really nice, uh, and I think it's nice that I be able to uh, like open up about some of the struggles in research and uh, like things that cross cut across research, like the conversation we just had about um, like making humans into machines, and like <laughs> um, mm. these are not just issues in research. Um, yeah, so I think. Yeah, and it's also given me like a, a nice opportunity to like reflect on, uh, mm -hmm. reflect on, and even better, like articulate some of the uh, like experiences and like what I've learned from them. Um, yeah, so I think this is super helpful. Um, and no, I'm I'm happy I did it. I was like, uh, I was. I was really thinking about it. I'm like, I've never, you know, I've never even like listened to a podcast before until your podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, this is totally out of my comfort zone. I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> Sometimes it feels good to do things out of your comfort zone, right? For sure. For sure. Um, and yeah, no. And continue. Is there anything that you'd like to put out there that or rather is there a question that you'd like to answer that I didn't ask and you like to put out there to someone who's listening to this podcast kind of parting short or anything that you'd like to talk about um no I don't think so I mean uh, maybe just like a comment on like uh, this idea of uh, the vulnerable scientist and like um like really humanizing researchers because I think in the past like few years there's been a lot of like distrust uh, of research and like you get all these like studies in the media that show like uh, some study found this and like people aren't really trusting like some of the research process like especially with like vaccines and all of this and like uh, I think if more people understood that like these are people who like you know, really, like, dedicated their life to, like, something, and, like, nobody's, like, going out and getting a PhD and, like, playing, like, the 20-year-long run to, like, con the general population. <laughs> like, 
like we're real people and like more like we care about um we care about truth and like finding finding things that will benefit society and that's like um yeah, and I think that if we like humanize researchers a bit more and like showed people that like no, these aren't just like robots that are like pumping out studies. These are people who put like their life work into something they're passionate about, and because they're passionate about it, they want it to be high quality and they want it to be good. And and yeah, and this is the research community, not just in like economics, but across the spectrum. Like every researcher I met is like falls into this category one way or another. And I think this is important for like general population to understand and like, uh, um, but hopefully builds like more trust in the research and research process. Like if we can get people mm -hmm. to understand that people are behind this and humans are behind this, then um, um, I think there can be more trust in the process. Uh, so I think, um, it's really cool to yeah like have that opportunity and to like see someone uh, that's like working towards that uh, yeah so i think that's yeah thank point. you for saying that thank mm. you for saying that and yeah this one of the main reasons why this podcast is out because we don't see we don't see humans we don't see the human side of scientists really we don't see the struggles that they go through before they get to where they are or to achieve a PhD, what what did they do to do a certain research? What uh, challenges did they go through? And also to also talk about the exciting parts, you know, uh, someone just talking so much excited about a certain research that they're going, they had or what uh, excites them about life that has nothing to do with research. <laughs> just... Just seeing them excited and happy and them talking about it and also talking about like just having having all those conversations, both the challenging side and the happy sides. Like let's talk about all those all those things about a scientist. And let it let for us sure. put it out there. Yeah. No, for sure. And like especially within the scientific like even within the scientific community, right? Like I find it's an yes. industry where People really struggle with work-life balance. I've really struggled with work-life balance. Like, people struggle with mental health, and like a lot of it's work-related. And like, um, like I've dealt with that too. And like, uh, um, and like, yeah, people being able to like openly talk about these, uh, like these aspects of research is important because. Um, a lot of times, all we see about researchers is how many citations they have and their their impact mm. factor, and uh, we're not really seeing that there's so many issues underlying this, and um, there's a lot of parts of the industry that are toxic, and um, and there's not there's not spaces for people to like address it because there's even this attitude, yeah, like well, if you're talking for if you're talking about the issues, you're not cut out for it, like. Yes. <laughs> like research is tough. That's how it is. Uh... <laughs> Actually, so someone said to my face I, I, before I started this podcast. I just asked, uh, you know, a table sitting in a table where it was just scientists. We were taking lunch, and I I just asked a question out of the blue just to hear what you think about it because my audience for this podcast was for scientists. Uh, as much as I'm a science communicator and I'm passionate about uh, public. Uh, science communication and uh, you know policies and you know the people who 
are taking up the technologies and all that. I was like, I need, we need to have these conversations in between scientists and people need to be more vulnerable in terms of and honest about what goes into research for them to do it. So uh, when I was having, I, I just said, I just asked these guys, um, uh, what do you think about the term the vulnerable scientist? They're like, huh? Scientist being vulnerable, hey, then you, you perish. <laughs> a scientist cannot be vulnerable. You'll die. You, you can't be in science and you're vulnerable. Oh, I was like, I was crushed. That took me one month to get over that comment. I was like, then this can't happen. If I'm going trying to get to research, if I'm trying to bring scientists to talk to being vulnerable, and if I'm trying to have an audience of scientists who are actually being vulnerable, then I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's just like a ridiculous, like, I mean, you can't even be human without being, like, vulnerable. Like, I mean, everybody is to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's this culture, right? Of, like, you have to be a pure intellectual, yeah. like, you, you, like, almost the, the unfeeling scientist, like, uh, <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah, and it leads to a lot of bad, like, uh, like work-life balance is an issue for everybody in the industry. And, um, yes, th- and these issues are hard to talk about if uh, if the the reigning the reigning idea is that um, that scientists can't be vulnerable, like. <laughs> How are you even supposed to talk about the workplace issues if if you can't even admit that like mm. people are affected by issues? <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So Does it make sense? Anyway. Um, All right. Sorry. Um, I've made you talked so much. <laughs> um. Anyway, thanks for coming into this podcast and. Uh, sharing your story sharing your journey and being vulnerable of all and uh, yeah at least i have another social scientist in my podcast <laughs> so that more social scientists can come to my podcast and be vulnerable too <laughs> now this is me being vulnerable <laughs> Yeah, uh, and people also to know what kind of science do these economists do? Like, how do they play a part? You know, people don't really understand. Like, I, honestly, most people, even in, in the biological sciences, they wouldn't understand. Okay, so what is this gender thing? <laughs> I heard this question someone said. I was like, uh, so I heard these people talking about gender. What is this gender thing? Can you explain it to me in simple terms? Or if someone ex- they're like, okay, so what how to social sciences like someone was saying now in, in, in Swahili, oh how to social sciences who <laughs> Like what do these social scientists do? Like what what are they really doing? What is the research that they're really doing? Yeah. So it's it's kinda interesting just to, that's why I was asking you those questions that are in depth for you to at least it comes out of your mouth for you people to understand what it takes for you to do and what are you doing, what questions are you answering and yeah, that's why I was asking you different um 
like which whatever positions that you've had how have you applied your skills and how have you helped and you know for people to understand the different dynamics when it comes to social science and its contribution its contribution even its direct contribution to society like the phd research that you're doing that is actually very interesting so thanks for coming in and maybe the last question what uh, last two questions sorry what netflix um should I watch right now because I'm looking for something? Suggest something that you like the most, and also suggest a drink because you've mentioned that you, I think, you drink. I, I don't know, sure, but suggest when you I might have mentioned beer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sorry? Netflix shows, okay, Netflix shows. I like, uh, I like comedies. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. so my favorite shows on Netflix are The, the Office, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, yeah, these would be my my, my top two picks. <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, yeah, I don't like watching serious things on Netflix because it's my downtime. I want to laugh. I don't want to be scared or like think. Uh, think, yeah. Like people are like this shows a mind bender, and it's like no, I've been thinking all day. I don't want to think now. <laughs> 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 thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then my favorite, my favorite drink. Um, I really like, uh, I really like um, two five four brewery in in Nairobi. Uh, mm-hmm. They have these um, like a specialty. It's a it's a small brewer, um, but they have a shop in I think it's in Kituyo. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and they make uh, they make very nice beer. Um, so this oh, like it's. They make they make it themselves. Yeah, they make it themselves. Um, so, how different is it from the other beer, other kinds of beer? It's more similar to. Do you know Barulu? Like uh, this is another brewery in Nairobi. Uh, it's quite different to EABL, uh, like the like mm. White Cup and honestly, no. three years in Kenya, and I don't think I know the difference between White Cup and Tusker. They taste the same to me. Uh, but yeah you could get all sorts of different uh, I think they always have like six or seven beers that uh, they're all a bit different so sometimes you get a darker beer a bit more like Guinness uh, sometimes uh, lighter beers that are say more like a Tusker uh, amber beer so you get all sorts of um, different types of beers uh, so you take more local beers than uh, local brands compared to international brands. Yeah, because the international brands I don't think are better. Like I don't think Heineken is any better than Tusker, uh, frankly. So I'm not mm. going to pay 150 shillings more for 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 a Heineken. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it tastes pretty much the same. <laughs> That's a good tip. That's a very good tip, by the way. Uh, it it so, seems casual, but this is a very nice tip that you're putting out there. The economist in you now is thinking. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like cost benefit. Is it 150 shillings better? No. <laughs> so it's not worth it. <laughs> no. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to stop this recording.
Okay. Just right here. Okay. If there's anything 